Well, good morning. How are you today? Good. Anybody warm out there? Everybody cold? I think it's colder in here than it is outside. Hey, um, before I got married to my wife, Carolina, I expressed to her how much I really wanted to marry a woman that uh, likes to cook. And so my wife made this a priority in her life. And uh, most of the people, to look at her, you don't think that uh, maybe she cooks, but she cooks almost every single night. And a lot of times from scratch. Thank you. Yes. And I am the beneficiary of that. But she takes it very seriously. In fact, in the first year of our marriage, we didn't have the same meal twice. That was a goal that she tried to do, and she achieved it. We had a different meal every single time that she cooked. And she gets recipes sometimes from Publix. You ever go to Publix and you see the little card that has all the recipes? So she'll get those, and if that looks good, she'll she'll cook that. She has cookbooks, but one of her favorites, of course, is Martha Stewart, right? That's her hero. And uh, she and I are very different when it comes to cooking. Uh, I'm the type of guy that, like, you know, if it says it needs some of this, I just throw some in, I put a little of that in there, I just don't measure, I just kind of throw it in, see how it goes. But she likes to be very exact. In fact, if you measure, if she needs a teaspoon, it has to be precise. You know, the cup of whatever it is has to be exactly a cup. She is so meticulous because at the end, she looks at the picture to see if it comes out like the picture. And in fact, if the recipe doesn't have a picture, she won't even attempt the recipe because she wants to know exactly what it looks like. And then when we sit down to eat, we come to the table and the food's there. There's always a recipe with a picture right near my plate if it's something we haven't had before. And my job is before I pray for the meal is to look at the picture and to see if the meal actually compares with what she cooked. And... uh I get in trouble if I neglect that, by the way. And uh, if there is a recipe, like I said, she will not even attempt to do it. I have to tell her how it looks. And then um, she likes the pictures and she likes to use those because she knows exactly what it's supposed to look like when she's done. She knows if she's accomplished the recipe or not. And if we had a picture uh, of things that we were trying or attempting to do, it would make life easier, wouldn't it? Because we know what the goal what it really looks like and how we're trying to accomplish it. I love uh, jigsaw puzzles. I don't know if you are a fan of them also, but I love to do them. I do like 1,000 ones. I've done a 5,000 one because I'm crazy like that. But I'll try any jigsaw puzzle. In fact, I have one here. Uh, This one's called Impossibles. I don't know if you can read that, Impossibles. And this puzzle is about 1,000 pieces. And the interesting thing about it, it doesn't have any border. You know, like the straight edge, when you put it together, it's all the regular thing. And it actually says that it has five extra pieces. Now, some of you guys are like, you're nuts. You know what I mean? And the fact that I even said a thousand piece puzzle, most of you guys, I wouldn't attempt that. And then let me ask you this, though. What if we didn't even have a box to look at? A bunch more of you would say, listen, if you're not going to show me the box, I'm not even going to attempt that puzzle because that's what we do when we start a a jigsaw puzzle, right? We open it up, we dump out the pieces, and then we prop this thing up so that we can see what it's supposed to appear to be when we finish. You know, it's the same thing for many things in life. Um, Knowing what something is supposed to look like will help you achieve it. Has your boss ever asked you to do something at work and then you're kind of unclear on what exactly it is because he's given you a goal but he hasn't really given you the vision? But For instance, like last year, or last, last year, it was last year, but last month, well, it was uh, December and a lot of Christmas parties were happening. What if your boss said to you, hey, I want you to plan the Christmas party for our office this year? 
right? Well, he's giving you a goal, but you still want to know what the vision is. I mean, how much do I have to spend? Do you want to eat out at a restaurant or are we going to have it in in the office? Should we do a secret Santa? Should we do a white elephant or no gift exchange at all, right? We're going to ask all these questions so that we can actually have a picture of what his vision is so that then we can fulfill it and accomplish it. You know, um, having a vision will help us to achieve our goals in life. That's why the Bible, in your outline, it says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. Without having a picture of something, most of the time, it makes it very difficult to accomplish, and sometimes, or many times, we can't accomplish it. You know, God, instead of telling us just to be good, gave us the law, right, so that we would know exactly what being good looks like. That was a clear vision for us to do. And it would keep us on track, right? Because then we would know when we are on or off track. You know, we're uh, two weeks into the new year here in 2012, and I bet a lot of you guys are working on your New Year's resolutions, right? Hopefully you haven't given up on them yet, but maybe we're just starting them. Um, Financial goals most likely is on your list. You know why? Because if you look uh, look up polls and things like that, it's one of the top ten financial goals that people have every year. Maybe you have a goal like, I want to pay off my debt this year or begin saving. Maybe you want to start a new job or maybe you're going to start your own business or maybe you want to save up for your kid's college or something like that. Some of these goals are similar uh, as the same from last year, right? Because last year we tried them, but we were really not able to do it. And maybe we struggled in the past to have victory or success in this area of our life when it came to our financial goal. And it could be because we don't have an exact vision for what we are trying to accomplish in our finances. We're not sure exactly what it is that we want. We, I mean, we have a general idea, right? Um, we want, maybe we don't want to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. Uh, we want to be sure that something will be waiting for us when we retire. Uh, We would like maybe to help other people out. Or maybe just in general, we want to improve our financial situation. And sometimes we verbalize it in things like this. We would say, if I just had a million dollars, right, everything would be okay. So our goal is like, I just want to be a millionaire. Or like, I just want to achieve financial peace. But what what does that look like? What exactly does that mean for you and me? And I think... We're not quite sure. It's kind of like trying to build that thousand-piece puzzle without the cover to look at. We're just kind of shooting for a goal, but we really don't have the vision. And so today, I realize that a lot of us struggle because we don't have the vision. What I'm going to try to do is paint for you a biblical vision of what finances look like. And I'm thinking that if we could get it right when it comes to money, or if we could get it right on the money, then we would be able to accomplish the goal and experience the peace that God wants to have for you and I. If we had a vision, we would know if we were succeeding at it. We would also know if we're making progress and we would experience victories on our journey to financial peace because we'd know when we're getting close or not. So today we're going to look at that biblical model and what I'd like you to do is pull out your outlines if you haven't already and we're going to fill in the first fill-in and it is the first thing is be a diligent earner. Be a diligent earner. And as, as, as if this really had to be said, because I think most of us are thinking, of course we have to earn money. I mean, you can't spend money if you haven't earned it, right? And as simple as that sounds, though, I can prove to you today that many of us don't actually believe that. You know why? Because sometimes money is free, right? You guys know what this is? It's a credit card, right? This thing gives us free money Anytime we want. That's the way it kind of works, isn't it? Listen, check out these little statistics. The average credit card per household, 
for people who are in household who have credit card debt is is the average is fifteen thousand dollars, just over fifteen thousand dollars. So there are people who are not earning but are spending. In fact, revolving credit, which is credit card debt, not like your not like your mortgage or car payment or things like that. There are 44% of Americans that actually have revolving debt every year. That means there are 44% of people who are not living up to their income level. 46% people said they are, that they don't have revolving debt. Six of them said, I don't know whether I do or not. And 4% said, I'm not going to answer that question. Okay? So it's probably close to 50%. That means if you look to your right, everybody look to the person on your right, one of you is in debt, (laughs) and one of you is not. That's what that means. You see, we spend a lot more than we earn, and there's a subtle shift, I think, in our thinking that says we can spend without earning, right? I mean, I would venture to guess that 99% of the people out here right now know somebody who doesn't work. And and now, I'm not talking about the person that maybe lost their job, um, but, you know, and is temporarily out of work. I'm talking about the person that is chronically out of work. You know, an old friend contacted me on Facebook. I, I wonder how many sentences begin with that nowadays, right? A friend contacted me on Facebook. And as we were catching up, they sent me an email uh, to tell me what was going on in their life. And when updating me, they wrote this about their oldest son. Listen to this. My oldest boy is now 18 and off on his own. He quit school in December right after his birthday. It's because he was 18. He could quit. How he sofa surfs with friends until he burns bridges. I don't know. Maybe something just popped into your head right then. You know what pops into my head when I heard that sentence? My brother Lee. Now, he's a great guy. He's got a great career. But there was a period of time where he was out of work for almost a year. And my brother one time took a picture of him lounging on his couch because he was staying on my brother's couch. And every time I think of that, like that pops into my head. There he is lying, uh, lounged out on the couch. And listen, a lot of us know people like that. Listen, work is the first source of providing the things we need in life. That's God's first source for us. You know, a lot of times we would picture paradise uh, of us just laying back in a hammock and somebody like fanning us and feeding us peeled grapes by hand, right? That's what, that's what the Garden of Eden should have been like, we think. But, but that's not true. That's not what it was like. In fact, the first thing God did was assign him a task. He was supposed to tend the garden. When he would tend the garden, it would then yield fruit for him. You see, he would work and then it would yield a reward. And that's what God has designed. And it remains that way even today. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, would tell us that it's important for each of us to work. Listen, there's a verse in your outline. It says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Now Paul wrote the, these, the, most of the epistles, or most of the New Testament, and he would travel to all these different cities to plant churches. Now, I mean, that's probably pretty busy work, planting a church in every location that you go. Can you imagine that? And yet, every time he went to one of those cities, he would work at the same time while he's just trying to establish this church. He says that he was a tent maker. And if you look in uh, the book of Acts, you'll see that everywhere he went, he was always working, constantly working, even though he probably could have asked of the people that they pay him. 
Why don't you pay me because I'm doing something for you. I'm doing a service for you. But instead, he said, no, what I want to do is set the right example for you so that you would also work to earn a living. And I think what we need to do is pass this idea on to the next generation. I mean, it could be because I'm getting a little bit older, but I see a lot more teens dropping out of school. At least it appears that way to me. And what happens is some parents are actually contributing to this happening because we haven't forced them to stay into school or we have allowed them and enabled them to be the one who stays on the couch. And so what we need to do is change that. Um, Alex Fernandez, he plays guitar. I think he was here or there. I forget which position he was in. But he's going to do a growth group on uh, parenting for couples. And what he was saying to me as we were talking about it, the, the writer is Bob Barnes who writes the curriculum, and he said this, he goes, the primary job when parenting is to make your children employable and marriageable. That's your primary job, to make them employable and marriageable. That's what we're supposed to do. But because we love someone so much, sometimes we try to help them. It seems difficult. We don't want to hurt them, and so instead we enable them. Now, I don't know who you are or if you're struggling with that right now. Maybe you're a parent. But what I want to do is give you some help. If you feel like that's where you're headed with your children or one of your children right now, flip over your connection card that you filled out earlier. And just in the section that says prayer requests, write parental counseling, parental counseling. And we'll call you this week and we'll set up an opportunity for you and help you get the counseling that you need to get out of that situation. But if... Working not enough is one of the issues, but working too much is another issue. The other caution I would mention is working too hard. Jobs and careers can sometimes become our obsession, can't they? The Jewish people were the first people uh, in the world to actually get a day off. The Bible says this in your outline, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You see, in an agricultural society like then, that stuff never stopped. Every day you got up and fed the cows. Every day you watered the sheep. Every day you tended the fields. And God said, hold on. I want you guys to have a day of rest because working all the time is not good for you. And so, likewise, we can't become too obsessed with, what, uh, with our work. But we like to work. You know why sometimes? Because when we work, we get extra money. And so sometimes we'll forego the rest and get too involved in our work. You can tell when you're getting too involved in your work when there's three little things, if you want to jot them down, but one of them is when you neglect your family. If you notice you're beginning to neglect your family, it could be that you're too involved in your work. The second thing is you don't have a social life because you're too involved in your work. And the third thing is if it's getting in the way of your relationship with God, with you spending time with God then it could be that you're spending too much time at work. Although we could do a message on each of the things we're going to talk about today, I'm going to move on. So we're talking about the first thing was be a diligent earner, but the second thing is be a generous giver. Be a generous giver. I still remember my very first official job. When I was, uh, <clears throat> when I was young, I had like a paper route and I had... I worked for my uncle and other people in various things. But when I got my first job, my actual first job, I worked at Jelly, Yogi Bear's Jellystone Park. It's a campground. 
And so there was one in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, where I was growing up, and my friend uh, Rob, who was working there, said, hey, they're hiring, why don't you come work this summer? So I did, I got hired on, we worked at the snack bar, and the snack bar, we made burgers, we made pizzas, we made pancake breakfasts, we even made lobsters one time. I mean, we made like everything, and ice cream, we served it all. And I remember after that first week, I got my first check. Now, my first check was about $100, and I, was, I still remember this check, and I still remember the amount because I was very excited about this amount of money. And my friend Rob said, convinced me to go to the music store. He's like, come on, let's go spend that money that you have. So we went to the store, and I, back then I had a 1973 Grand Torino. I don't know if you know what those are. It's a giant boat. I should have brought a picture. That was, that's a laugh in itself. But what I wanted to do was get some nice uh, music in there. So we went to the store, and there was these speakers that were $100. They were Jensen Quadraxels. I don't even know if you remember that. I don't think they make them anymore. So I bought these speakers for $100, and I put them in the car, and man, uh, that's where my whole check went to. The truth is, the first thing that came to my mind was not to give any money. That was the last thing that entered my mind. I mean, I just had earned this. I just spent a week working for it. I'm going to use this money for something that I want. You know, and I know right now this part of the message could get uncomfortable for people because it was uncomfortable for me at one time because at one time I wasn't a natural giver. In fact, I was someone who said, why should I give just for the reasons I just told you? But if you're a Christian here today and you call yourself a Christian, you say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, then the first thing that should be on your list is actually to give. There are more verses in the Bible related to giving than any other uh, topic on finances in the Bible. This verse I put in your outline says, You shall bring the very first, the very first, or the first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. God is saying the very first thing that you do, the very first thing that comes into your house, in that time they didn't have money. I mean, they would have fruit, they would have produce, things that would come in. And he said, take the first of those before you do anything else and bring those to me. That's what you're supposed to do. I didn't put this verse, but I'm going to read it to you. And it says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. That word tithe, you hear that a lot. A lot of times you say, I'll go to the church and I gave my tithe. A tithe just simply means tenth. A tenth. And God is saying that the, a tenth of whatever comes into your household belongs to Him. That's what holy to the Lord means. That word holy, if they call, someone calls you holy, or we call God holy, simply means set apart. That's what holy is. God is set apart. He is set apart from man. He is holy. And if you don't practice what the world practices, and they say, well, you're set apart, you are holy, perhaps. And so God is saying that the tenth of everything that comes into your household is His. It is set apart for Him. Now, this is not me saying this. I'm saying what the Bible says. I want you to know that. Okay? So I'm not trying to tell you anything different than what God in His Word has told us. But I guess what could... You know, I mean, I guess we could talk about this and do a whole message easily on this. Perhaps someone day we will. But I'm going to simply say this. Do you really trust God? Do you really trust God? You see, a lot of us, we may see giving as a challenge to our faith. But instead, it's the tool God is using in our lives for us to grow in our faith. You know, if we really believe that we belong to the God of the universe, then can we trust Him to take care of every area of our lives? Can we believe that God is going to take care of us? 
Can we believe in Him? You know, money is simply a tool, but it's such a powerful tool in our lives, isn't it? Because money represents something different to every one of us. For some of us, it, re- it represents security. For others of us, it represents power. For some of us, it represents freedom. And for others of us, it represents our goals and our hopes and our dreams. Now think about that for a minute. We're going to take all those things that mean so much to us and we're going to turn them over to God. You know, it's easy to come to church on Sunday and say, God, this is the portion that I give to you by coming. Or to, I pray to you, God, and I do all this. I have my spiritual life, but then I have my other life. This is the part that means so much to me that I need to take care of, that I trust in, and that I want to control. Do you believe that God can take this and do even more with it than you can? Do you believe that God will continue to support the things that you are doing? To, to, to support your dreams, to support your hopes, the things that He's given to you. The truth is, our human response first is probably no. That's what mine was. It's not easy. And that's why I think God asked you and me to tithe, to give a 10%. Because He says, in this way, you will actually learn to trust in Me. You see, God is seeking greater things for you and I. You know, does it ever cross our mind that God can do much more with our stuff than we could ever do. But it's a step of faith to do that, isn't it? You see, when we control our money, we're not letting God in. And here's the thing, probably each one of us at one point has prayed for God to help us out in some financial way, haven't we? You see, verbally we're saying, God, come in and take control and help me out. But physically and in every other way, we're saying, no God, I don't want you in here and be a part of it. Can we let God be the Lord of every aspect of our life? You see, because that's really what God is seeking, and that's what giving and tithing is really all about, is God just wants to be your Lord. He wants you to trust Him in every area that you can. The Bible says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great You won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. You know, every year, at least once a year, probably twice a year, we do something we call the 90-day tithe challenge. And the 90-day tithe challenge is for people who said, maybe, you know, I don't know, God, I, I want to be able to do this, but I'm having trouble. I'm struggling in this idea of giving to you. And we use this verse because this verse, in this verse, God says that if you give, if you tithe, I will pour out blessing on you. Now, I don't want to misquote the Bible and I don't want to mislead you. It doesn't mean that because you give, God's going to make you richer. But it does say God's going to bless you. I believe God's going to provide for you in every way that you need to be provided for if you trust Him. In fact, God, this is the only verse in the Bible where God says to us, try me, test me, and see if it will happen. And so what we do is we say, listen, let's give God a test. Let's try Him. He says it, so He's not going to be mad at us. Let's test Him. If you take out your connection card on the back side, on the left, you're going to see it says, take the 90-day tithe challenge. And we do this as a hopeful, helpful step for you to move closer to God. What I'd like to see from you is not that necessarily that God uh, makes you rich, but I hope He would, or that necessarily even going to bless you, though I hope He would. What we'd like to see from you is having a closer relationship with God 
through tithing because you're trusting Him in every aspect of your life. And that's really what God wants. He wants your heart, not really your money. But a lot of times He knows that's how He's going to get us. And so that's why God does it. Listen, if you've never tried it, I want to encourage you to check that off. And what we're going to do is we're going to send you a book called The Treasure Principle. We'll send it to you this week. And we're also going to email you weekly to help you keep on track with what you're doing and try the 90-day tithe challenge. Pastor Bob, like I said, has done this before. He's got, a, he's got an envelope probably this thick, a folder, full of testimonies of what people have done, what God has done in their lives when they've trusted God in their finances. And how God has blessed them in many, many different ways. And I believe the story is going to be the same for you. I want to encourage you to try it and see what happens. But let's move on. If, if, uh, the second is be a generous giver. The third is be a wise saver. Be a wise saver. When I was about eight years old, um, the local kids in the neighborhood and my brothers and all, when we'd save up enough money, we'd take the long journey down to Parker Drug to go spend our cash. Now, that could have been because we got um, uh, we earned the money through our paper route or whatever it was or it was our allowance. But Parker Drug was about two miles away. So we didn't make this journey very easily because, you know, it's four miles the whole round trip when you're a kid. And so we would take up our money. We would head down there and there at Parker Drug, they'd have like candy and comic books. And we would spend our money on candy and comic books. And we'd walk across the street and there was a friendly ice cream. You guys ever hear of friendly ice cream? There's a few around and we would get the Jim Dandy, which is the big ice cream sundae. And then we wouldn't tip the waiter and we would leave. And we were kids. We didn't know any better. But we would go there and we'd have a lot of fun. I mean, from that time period, I remember, like, a lot of times they'd sell the candy necklace. You guys ever see that candy necklace they have? It's like a, uh, I, forget twi- uh, I forget the thing. But it's the little beads that are all candy and you put them on. I mean, whose sick mind would give that to a kid, Right. Because you put it on, you wear it, you sweat, there's the colors running down your body, and then you peel them off and you eat them. I'm like, these guys are weird. But we bought them and ate them. And we'd buy candy bars and whatever. Well, this one time, it was two days before Halloween. Two days before Halloween, I had saved up a bunch of money and I was craving candy. So we made the trek all the way down to Parker Drug. We loaded up on candy. I was getting sick on the way back eating so much candy. I had a little left over. I was eating that night. Now, here's the thing. The next day, I'm still sick of eating candy. And in one more day, is Halloween. And we lived in a neighborhood that was so like packed with people, we actually went trick-or-treating with a pillowcase. That's what we did. We brought a pillowcase. We'd fill it half to three-quarters of the way full. And we'd drag that thing back. We'd slap it down on the floor and count all of our, our treasure, you know, and count up and separate everything. By the time I got home, though, I was so sick. I had all this candy. I'm thinking, why did I spend all my money when I'm... Two days, I was going to hit the mother load, right? I should have saved up my cash for a time when I was going to really need it or for something I really wanted or when I really needed a candy fix like two months from now. And it was a powerful lesson that I learned. But that's what saving is all about. It's about putting money away for a time when you really need it. The Bible calls this not just wise, but it calls it unusually wise. Listen to this verse. It says, There are four things on earth that are small but unusually wise. Ants, they are strong, but they store up food all summer. I mean, you guys have seen ants before if you've ever sat down and watched an ant in their ant hill, right? They come out and they get food. If you ever watched a cartoon where the ants are in the picnic and they're walking away with the watermelons and everything, right? We know those cartoons. 
And that's what they do. In the summer, when there's plentiful stuff out there, they grab what they can get and they take it down into their hill. And then in the winter, they store it up so in the wintertime they have something to eat when there is nothing. They save up for when they really need it. And because of their instinct for saving, the Bible commends them and calls them wise. You see, each of us should be saving and it should be a routine practice. You know, a lot of people struggle in this area, even though they may have the other areas downright. I know it's a, this is the most area, this is the area where I most struggle, is where it comes to saving. Because after I've given and after I've spent it on bills, well then I have money to spend, right? I can do what I want, not really thinking about the future. Savings means to forego an expenditure today so that you will have money to spend in the future. And perhaps this is why it's so hard for people to save, because what it means right now is denial of something that we want right now, something that we want today. The Bible says this, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Do you want to be wise, or do you want to be foolish? The Bible tells us what the difference is. And I think too many people struggle in life because they haven't saved up for a rainy day. We know, I bet you know, a lot of people that are in retirement that are living paycheck to paycheck because they don't have anything extra. And we think about freedom, that doesn't sound like a lot of freedom to me. Saving can sound like an endless task that has no reward in sight. So let me tell you about three things, savings, that you should know about and that you should have or implement in your life. And here they are. The first one is emergency savings. You can fill it in in your outline. And this is money you save up in case of a loss of income. And that could occur because of an injury or a sickness or you were laid off or whatever it is. But you should have approximately three to six months put away in a savings account. Now, three to six months, the way you figure that is what is your monthly expenses? Multiply by three for three months or to six. We, Carolina and I, the first year of our marriage, we worked on three and I think we're building up to six. So we're working toward the six because we don't want to get caught in a situation where we're suddenly shipwrecked. With this type of money, you can put into a longer term type of savings. You can get like a CD because you can put it away for maybe five years or a little bit longer. Even some money markets that are a little bit more short term, you can put that because you're not expecting this to happen. It's for an emergency. And if it does, then you take the penalty and you withdraw it. But, so I'm just letting you know that's what you can do with it. The second thing is replacement savings. Replacement savings. And perhaps this one actually should be first. And this is money you save to replace the things that break. Should a meteor crash through your roof and leave a hole and the insurance refuse to cover it, you would need to replace that roof or fix that hole or repair it. Should your transmission go on your car, you would need to fix that. Should you, um, your washing machine no longer work in the spin cycle and now you have to replace that appliance, then this is what this type of money is for. Now, what you should save up is 1000 to $2,000. Let's just say $1,000. You can write that down on the side. Now, that's not that hard. Now, some of you say, you know what? I'm in debt right now and I can't even do that. I can't do any of those. Well, here's what I would say to you. While you're working on your debt, work on your replacement savings. Because if you've been working on your debt and then one of these little things happens, what happens? Bam! You go right back into debt. So the important thing is to get on a debt repayment schedule that includes putting some money away for this emergency savings. And to be honest, to, you should write this down as your goal, $1,000 this year. 
$1,000 in emergency savings. And it's easy. It's $84 a month. If you can put away $84 a month this year, you'll have $1,000 put away for emergency savings. And in one year, you'll be in a place where one little thing is not going to shipwreck your finances. The third thing is long-term savings. Long-term savings. This is money you save for the future. This is the money you put away for retirement. Because seriously, I don't know how many of us really want to rely on Uncle Sam. And even if there's Social Security, I'm not trying to scare anybody, is it really going to be enough to cover much of our expenses? And like I said before, do we want to be living paycheck to paycheck in a time where our potential to earn money is not very high? Because right now, your potential to earn money is much higher. And so you want to be putting away like the ant for a time when you will need it more. Another type of long-term savings would be college for your children. You know, better yet, let your children also contribute to that fund so that they learn what savings is all about. So those are two types of long-term. A 401k is a great example. Listen, if you're at a job right now and they offer a 401k, you should probably take advantage of it. And some businesses actually will match you dollar for dollar when you put it in. If you put a dollar, they put a dollar. Some will put 50 cents on the dollar. So you put in a dollar, they put in 50 cents. Think about that. That's 50% interest on your uh, on your investment immediately. There's not much else in this world that's going to give you that. So you do that and you start begin to put away so you will have something for that rainy day. Now I want to just show you something. Um, is this the, one of the things that you want to put to use for you is what's called compound interest. So I put up a schedule here when it, it shows you what happens when we save. We'll go to that screen. There you go. I hope you can see it from where you are, but this is your interest rate in this column. This is year 5, 10, 20, etc. Now, if you put away, this is based on putting away 1000 a year, by the way. So if you put away $84 a month, that's it, $84 a month, you, yours, and you get, uh, well, you know, you can see the top row. I need to invest in a new pointer. The top row is 6%. Now, that's... You wouldn't really be able to get that in the bank, but you might be able to get that in a CD, possibly. But if you put it into mutual funds, you could get any one of those numbers. And if you follow them across the top one after year five, it doesn't seem like a lot. But if you go to year 40, it's 164000 But if you have a mutual fund that's doing like 12%, by year 40, it's 859000 You're almost on your way to that millionaire thing that you wanted, right? Listen... The importance of this is to understand right now, to understand, is look what happens in the first year for any of those percentage rates. It's not a whole lot. After five years, ten years, but twenty years, thirty years, look at where you're getting to. The, uh, the lesson here is that the earlier you start saving, the better. And so if you're thinking about it right now, or this maybe sparked something in you, and you said, you know what, I, I hate it when people talk about that. Listen, try to get involved as soon as possible. As soon as possible, because it's only going to benefit you more in the long run. And listen, a lot of this stuff, you can do it at work. It comes out tax-free. Number one, you'll get it. If you do it in your, at work, number one, you're never going to have it in your pocket to ever have to spend it. So it keeps you from spending it. And number two, you don't even pay Uncle Sam taxes on it until you take it out way back in the future. So anyway, I want to encourage you guys to start saving now. And if this chart says anything to you, maybe we'll encourage you to do so. Number four, the final thing is be a careful spender. Be a careful spender. When I was in high school, I qualified for this thing called Boy State. 
And Boys State takes place in most states in the United States, and they gather all these kids, they invite kids from high school to be a part. Uh, during the summer, it's like a week long, and you go to this one location, uh, usually a campus of some type, and what they do is they teach you about government. And they also, what you do is form a mock government. You elect officials on all levels, on town levels, city levels, national levels, you know, gov- state levels. And you elect all these people. You form like this government and you learn a lot. And potentially, I guess, there could be some pot- politicians that come out of that. I didn't choose to become a politician. But the interesting was, one guy gets up to run for national treasurer. And of all the things that I remember, there was only a couple things. And this is one guy's speech. I remembered his speech because he got up on stage and he pulled a dollar bill out from behind his jacket and he lit it on fire. And he says, I want you to vote for me as treasurer because I like to burn through money. You know, and the crowd went wild. You know, we were crazy. We we're just a bunch of teenage kids. And we thought it was awesome. So we voted him to the next round. You know, I don't remember what happened to him after that. But all I remember is this guy burning a dollar bill on stage. And you're a lot like this kid is that you and I, we like to burn through money, don't we? It's true. If we have money burning in our pocket, we like to spend it. And uh, most of our spending problems occur because we get into what's called an impulse buy. An impulse buy is when we purchase something that we didn't plan on buying. Or we go to buy something, but we upgrade it to the model that we hadn't planned to upgrade it to, right? You see the house, and this is a four-bedroom, but across the street it's that five-bedroom, and it's like 100000 more, and you end up buying the one you didn't plan to buy. Or you go to the store, and there's the 44-inch TV, but you're like, oh no, I saw the 71, and you upgrade, and now you're spending more than you had planned to purchase, because that one has 3D, HD, something, LCD, whatever D that it has. You know, impulse buying, I learned a valuable lesson when I was a kid. One time I was walking into the store, I had like $4 and change. I had like $4, and um, when you ever walk into the store, you go to, uh, you see the little vending machine, the little glass one that has the little bubbles in it, like the little capsules, right? And like for 25 cents, it dispense it. Well, when I walked in, do we have a picture? This was on one of them, and... uh, what I loved about this is not all the little trinkets, but the real working camera right there in the middle. It's like two inches by one inch. And when you're a kid, and back then we didn't have cell phones and all that, like a camera was awesome. And a spy camera, even better. And I believe somewhere in that little capsule, you know, in the, the vending machine, it existed. So I took all my change, my $4 in change. Now, think about this. I'm going into a store. I could buy whatever I want with my money. And here I am. You open the first thing, it's a tattoo. You know, I open the second, it's like a plastic ring. Another one, it's like a little necklace. All these little things, keychain, trinkets. When I was done, I'd spent all my money. I didn't get the camera. And all I got was a bunch of junk. A bunch of junk. And that's what happens when we impulse buy. It's sometimes like throwing away our money. I was so wanting this little camera and I just went impulsively. I could have gone in the store and bought what I really wanted. I could have seen what I was going to get. Instead, I spent it on that. Pedro, you can get that off the screen. What we want today, we may not want tomorrow. Or we might want in that moment, we may not want the next day. That's why the Bible tells us to make financial plans. Listen to this verse. It says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Some of us throw money at whatever catches our attention first, right? 
The mortgage payment comes up, boom, we pay it. The light bill comes up, boom, we pay it. You know, some clothes that we saw, boom, we buy it. We're going to go out to eat, boom, let's just do it. And whatever it is that pops up, wherever it is, whether it's the right thing to pay or the wrong thing to pay, that's how we live our lives. We're just going to keep spending because that's what I want. But what we really need to do is plan our spending. And the way we do that is we stick to a budget. We create a budget and stick to it. And I've told you in the past of that a budget is simply knowing what comes into your house at the beginning of the month and what goes out at the end of the month. And that budget will tell you, well, the budget is you're either spending more than that comes in or you're spending less. That's what a budget is. It's really quite simple. And what we need to do is adjust our spending so that what comes in equals what's going out or is less. And now here's a, a basic budget that I want to give you uh, that I think will help you experience freedom. And I think it's a biblical one is this. It's called the 10-10-80 principle. It's in your outline. The 10-10-80 principle. And that is the first is you give 10%. You give 10%. Then the next thing is you save 10%. And then the last one is you live off of 80%. That's what it looks like. Now, that sounds pretty good to me. Living off 80% sounds like a really good deal, right? I can do whatever I want with the 80%. It's earn, give, save, spend. And we go, well, why is giving and saving first? I mean, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't we figure out what we need to spend and then we can figure out all the rest? No. You see, most of us have it all backwards. We do it like this. First we spend, right? Then we earn because we have to pay for all the expenditures. And then we save because we may need some of that later if there's any left over. And if there's anything at all, then we give. It's the exact opposite. We just do something totally different. Do you realize that the average person in America is only three weeks away from bankruptcy? Because we live at a spending rate that's at such the edge of our income that we're that close. If you don't give first and save first, You'll end up spending it all. That's the way it is. We're just planning to spend it all because it's available to us. Lots of times what we have to do is we get caught up in a vicious cycle trying to match our spending, right? We're spending so much, so we now have to earn more. We have to get more. We have to go out and keep up with all our bills because we've always put spending first. Many people get caught, got caught spending outside of their income level when it came to the housing crisis. Because we said, man, I really want this building and we were allowed, banks gave us the loans that they probably shouldn't have issued, we got into buying something and got stuck. Because then five years later, when a balloon payment came or whatever it was, we got stuck. And a lot of people experienced a lot of problems. You know, with the state of our economy and the national debt, we can't really afford to be living at that level. The truth is, if you can get the first two right, if you can get the giving right and the saving right, you know what's going to happen? Your mind is going to be much more aware of what and how you are spending. It's then that we get things right. So that's what a financial plan that brings peace looks like. So the question might be, how do I get there, right? How do I get there from here? Well, for some of us, it might not be that difficult because now we know what the goal looks like for maybe a few of you out there or many of you out there it's just a few adjustments in what we're doing already because we have we're having a good income and we maybe don't have super amount of expenses so we can afford to make the changes and adjust our spending appropriately and our budgets appropriately for others though we're like maxed out right 
At the end of the month, there's more month out of the end than, than money at the end of the month, right? We just, we have like a dollar left over after we've paid everything or some change in our pocket because we're living right at the level. For others of us, we're actually in debt. Each month, it seems to be getting worse and harder and harder and harder, and we're behind. It's like, how are we going to get to this model? Well, let me help you guys. Let us help you. We're doing a financial seminar on the 28th. And I want you to pull out your outline, your programs. It's either a flyer or you'll see it on the back of the connection card. It's called the Good Sense Financial Seminar. Listen, at that seminar, you go to the seminar, you're going to learn what it means to be on a budget. You're going to discover what your own budget is for your household, your specific household. You're going to learn tips on how to uh, bring down your debts. You're going to be able to meet with financial counselors for free to talk with them to discuss your particular situation. And we're going to just help you in so many different areas. Listen, this seminar, um, is, it costs you something because it comes with a book and we have to rent the place. But listen, we don't offer this seminar because I want to spend Saturday hanging around teaching. But we want to offer it because what I want to do is see you guys grow in this area. I want you to experience financial freedom. And I think today, if you say, well, I know it costs a little bit, I think it's worth it. If it's going to help you down the road and get out of debt to get to a place where you're financially free, where you're feeling peace in this area of your life, then it's worth it. And I want to encourage you right now, sign up for it. Sign up for it today. I think there are a few reactions to a talk like this today. Some of you are like, I'm hoping to just ignore it till I get out of here and maybe it'll all go away. Right? Because we don't want to face the reality of our situation. For some of us, we're thinking, I need to do something, but I don't want to act right now, right? Because we don't want to face the changes that we have to make right now in our lives. And some of you are saying, you know what, I really do right now. I need to take action. I need to do something. I need to do something that's going to change my situation. The Bible says this, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. I don't know if you ever tried to chop wood or anything with a dull axe, but maybe you've tried to cut a steak with a spoon, right? It's not easy. It's very hard, right? But yet some of us have been experiencing in our financial area something similar to trying to cut a steak with a spoon. We keep doing the same old things. We keep trying the same old stuff and nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. We're simply experiencing frustration, if you've been hacking away for years, trying to be better in your financial situation with no results, it's time to apply wisdom. Just like this verse tells us. Instead of using more strength, instead of trying to keep doing this futile effort, use wisdom. Sharpen the axe. And for you and I, maybe we've been doing something the same over and over, over and over, and we say, you know what, I like the spending first, the earning next, and then the savings, then the giving idea well, then you're going to probably be in the same situation you've always been. Instead, we can say, you know what, maybe I can try something new. Maybe I can try it God's way, apply God's wisdom and see what happens. Listen, if you don't make a change today, because some of us are thinking, man, I'm going to do this later and I'm not going to sign up for that and I'm just it'll be here. When is it going to be? Is it going to be a year from now? You wake up and you're still in the same situation? Five years? Man, for some of us, if we don't make a change, 10 years is going to come by and you're going to be in the exact same position that you were in. No one says it's going to be easy. 
But if you do it, it will be on the steps that lead you to financial peace. It'll be, you'll be on the steps that will lead you to a life where you feel at ease and not burdened constantly when it comes to your finances. I mean, what would it like to be on track with our finances? What would it be like for you? Would you experience a peace that you hadn't experienced before? Maybe less arguing with people in your family? Maybe less stress because you're not sure whether you can spend this money or not? What would it mean for you? Would it mean the opportunity to help people in your family or people that you know whenever they needed to help because you were free to be able to do it? I've heard hundreds of stories of people who've been set free because they got their priorities straight and they put their vision, this vision that we spoke about right now, into place in their own lives. And it can happen for you. And God wants that for you. Listen. Today is the day to apply God's wisdom to our life and start finding the financial peace that God desires for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, sometimes a message like this really can cut to the heart depending on where our financial situation is. And Lord, maybe even how we viewed you. Lord, I pray that your truth would sink in. Lord, and that you would help us to see things your way. Lord, I pray for the people right now that are struggling financially, that are in debt. I pray, Lord, that they would be prompted to come to the seminar, Lord, and to learn the things they need to help get them on the right path. Lord, I pray for all of us, no matter where we're at, because I think we would all say at times we do squander the things that you've given us. Lord, I pray that this message would speak to everyone. Lord, that you would help us to be the type of people that honor you and, Lord, that can be used by you to do great things in this world. Lord, that's our prayer. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.